Hi there. It's me, Laura Wasser, the divorce attorney and the founder of It's Over Easy, the online divorce service. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces, shepherding people through what may be one of the most terrifying times in their lives. Along the way, I often have to remind people to lower their expectations. When dealing with matters of the heart, rules simply don't apply because all's fair in love and war. So welcome to the All's Fair podcast. Fasten your seatbelts and let's go. Hey everyone, I'm Laura Wasser and this is All's Fair. Hi there, I'm Johnny Rains, and we've got a terrific show for you today. In my 20 plus years of practicing family law, I've met some very interesting people, some of them actual other attorneys. I've encountered brilliance, intelligence, and some of the most dynamic people in a variety of fields. Today, I'm going to introduce you to one such person. She's a woman who speaks her mind. Smart, tough, and determined, she climbed the ranks to partner at a major law firm before it was something we women were supposed to do. Though she wouldn't use the word trailblazer to describe herself, and we'll find out why. She's now into her next chapter, which includes disrupting the world of luxury fashion with her new powerhouse clothing line called Caliday. Welcome to All's Fair, Harriet Posner. Thank you. So Harriet, tell us a little bit about you. I feel like you're going to do it better than I'll, uh, I would. I know you, but tell our listeners why it is that I wanted to have you on the show. Well, probably because we've um, crossed paths in the law business many times. I've been a client of your firm and I've worked with your firm on things. And um, I think you know a lot of lawyers that I know. So by way of background, I grew up in Chicago. I went to Harvard. I graduated foolishly in three years. By the way, just to interrupt for a moment, I'm impressed that you were able to speak that much about yourself and wait till you got to go to Harvard. Most people I know lead with that (laughs) if they went to Harvard. So congratulations. I followed a boy out to California. I'd Uh always wanted to live here. Uh, Worked for a year and then I went to law school at UCLA. Um, I loved California from the minute I got here. I'm a little bit of a jock. So I was able to play tennis year round and run. My best friend in law school and I were both jocks and we swam in the pool at UCLA and ran in the hills of Bel Air and played tennis and occasionally went to class. It's a good life. So following that, I went to work at Skadden Arps, which at the time was not the biggest law firm in the world, but a big one, a New York-based law firm. And I started in uh, September of 1984, and I was in the first first first-year class of associates there. And I worked there continuously until June 30th, 2014, so around 30 years. Along the way, I got married and divorced and did probably the most important thing of my life, which is having my two boys, so who are 26 and 24. Nice. Okay. And so I met you, I think, although I had heard of you before, I met you and Melanie, my partner, was working with you on your divorce. We also do cross paths quite a bit at Pilates, so I'm not a jock. (laughs) That's what the people that aren't jocks do. They lie on a thing and pull springs. But anyway. Inner um, strength. Yeah. Yeah, inner core strength. Core, core strength. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but I do remember when you were getting divorced, and right around the same time, you got cancer. I did. Which, when it makes sense, and Harriet yes. has told me before, it gave, that that's the divorce that gave me cancer. Well, I w- there was a real confluence of events, and I think people need to realize that you get carcinogens in your body every day, and so when do they take root? It's when your immune system is depressed. So not only was I going through a custody thing with my ex-husband 
in the period directly preceding my um, cancer. But I also was working on a case for two clients that uh, a government investigation that was very intense for them. And I am, you know, I'm a wear my heart on your sleeve kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I care deeply about my clients. I did. I still care about them. But when I was representing them, and this was a big, big thing, working 24-7, raising my kids, fighting the custody battle, other divorce things happening, and also being responsible at the law firm for all my other cases and mentoring young lawyers. And it was just too much. Yes. It was too much. I totally feel you. I get it. I mean, every time this time of year, end of the year, I get sick because it's like when I finally am able to let, let my defenses down, down a, a little. teeny bit. And that's when your immune system lets down as yes. well. So, I, so on a much larger scale, obviously. Okay. So then what happens? So the law firm had changed quite a bit. I mean, I thought of Skadden as my family. I mean, I'd grown up there from a baby lawyer to a partner. And the firm changed a lot. The law business changed a lot in my 30 years. It became big business. Mm -hmm. And I was happy to go along for that because um, I did very well. I had amazing clients. I had brilliant colleagues. I had the best, most challenging intellectually stimulating work of anyone but then the firm but but it had always been a family it always had a soul right and it started losing its soul and you know people were brought in from McKinsey and so many metrics and it just it wasn't fun right and, um, and when Harriet says that she was doing very well that's what that means is she was making a shitload of money and for a while you can say okay this is a job and I have to take care of my kids and my family, and I can throw some money at whatever soullessness right. I'm feeling in this right. firm for right. a while. Right. Okay, so then? But then the, there were other things that made the family feeling of the firm leave. We hired a lot of laterals. They weren't scadden heads, as we like to call them. They didn't have the same esprit de corps. Or, and it just became too much. I was fighting as a litigator. You're used to having adversarial relationships with people on the other side of cases. But when you start having so much of that internally in your own firm, it just becomes, it was just became sort of not okay anymore. Right. And then having cancer and really for the first time in my life ever thinking about death. And How I'm old very were you lucky. At that I was point? 48. Okay. Um, I just started having a, a slightly different outlook. It wasn't like I thought, oh, well, I should only work a 1,000 hours a year. I just started thinking, you know, life is short, and I don't want to come to work every day and be grumpy. I'd enjoyed it for so long. Right. And, I, you know, I loved it. You know that. Yes. I mean, I loved being a lawyer. But I just thought, you know, I need to do something else. And the firm graciously let me retire a little bit early, and I just thought I've got to do something else. And I didn't know what it was. Okay. So you actually retired without having the next Correct. plan in place yet. Correct. Which, which is, is so brave and terrifying. But I want the listeners to hear it because we have a lot of listeners that are thinking about next chapters. But I think a lot of them, a lot of us, are they want to have that next job, that next lover, that next apartment, whatever it is, before they exit this one. And so for the, but you knew the time had come. Yes. You were fighting with your family. You were fighting with your work family. You had health issues and you're like, I'm fucking out of here. Right. Okay. 
So transitions are hard. Yeah. They're hard even when you know the next thing you're doing. Right. But they're especially hard when you don't know, as you said. But whether it was illness or whether it was having, you know, in the, when you're a lawyer and you're le- learning new things along the time, you're an associate or a partner, and I never stopped learning as a lawyer. That's right. the nice thing. It wasn't ever I got to the office and I was bored because I didn't learn something new that day. But I think after you've mastered some of those things over and over again, like I tell my kids, like, yes, this is new. Yes, this is scary. You have to walk through the fear. And then you will know on the other side, oh, I did that. Right. And you build up that reservoir of your first summary judgment motion or your first trial, your first deposition. You go, you know what? I I can handle new things. And um, that doesn't mean that when I stepped out the door at the end of June that I didn't feel a little Raw. adrift. Mm-hmm. Um, I had driven into the same building every day for 30 years. Oh, my God. I mean, I couldn't imagine not doing that. Right. But and how old were your sons at this point? Just for... 2014, so 19 and 17. Okay. So they I were... I think my youngest was just going off for his freshman year at Harvard. Okay. So... Um, so they were on their way, and I had this nice retirement package, and I had health care, and so that was all good. And, and I just rolled with it a little bit. I mean, sometimes I was reading, I got an email today from a <clears throat> website or a, a newsletter I get that's about mindfulness, and it was about transition. And it was about just my view of uncomfortable things is sometimes you just have to sit with them and let mm-hmm. them wash over you. Yes. And... Sometimes if you have a good therapist, you talk to the therapist. I've been, I was in therapy for many years. I'm not going nap currently. But you learn about accepting your feelings um, and knowing that they are feelings and they will come and they will go. And, you know, you, you, just, you just have to have a little bit of courage. I have that word tattooed on my wrist. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yes, it's one of my <laughs> many tattoos. Yes. Well, it's just, it's an important word. There's right. courage comes up in so many different settings. I'm an equestrian now, and you have to have courage to ride. And it's really courage just to be present right. and experience whatever is happening and walk through it. That's, I also think that it's another thing to add, especially for our listeners, is that we as human beings are adaptable. And though there often is the fear of the unknown and the fear of making change, Often we've found in our lives from, you know, childhood on up, you know, that we've adapted to our situation. So I think that's a message that uh, people should, you know, integrate in their lives as well. I, I agree with that. And I also have realized as I've gone on in life that sometimes you're facing things that seem so painful. And the experience I've learned from that is that when I get on the other side, I realize that there was some thing I was supposed to learn from that. And so having that knowledge is very helpful to have, let, being able to walk, walk to through it, it, to and sit yes. with it. So you have to, you just have to, you have to do it a few times. Right. Now, when did you start writing? In my 40s. Okay. And what got you into that? I had a nanny who worked for me mm-hmm. for a period of time. And she came, comes from a very, very, very wealthy family. And she's ridden all her life. She was graduating from college. I was in between nannies, panicked, as that does to any working mother, as you know. Yes. Particularly a single working mother. 
And someone at my at SCAD and said, I know this young woman and she's coming home and her parents have told her, her mom has told her she can't just ride horses. She has to work and she likes working with kids. I'm like, great, sign her up. <laughs> so she came and her name is Tiffany. And she it was in the summer. I was in trial and it was in the summer and she took the boys out to her barn to see her horses. And one of my sons, my older son, Harry, wanted to learn how to ride. So I started riding and he was pretty young at the time. And then we stopped riding. And then when I got separated, I started riding again. And I okay. found a lot of zen in the horses. Well, you know, there are these equitherapy right. things. We've had people pitch them to us for the show. My brother's a therapist. He's talked about it because he's a surfer. So he does mm -hmm. a lot of surf therapy. But the equa, is it called equitherapy? I think it's called equine therapy. Equine therapy. therapy. Mm -hmm. So and Johnny and I thought it was therapy for the horses. Yes. We were very confused when we turned Clearly, down the pitch. That's not what it is. <laughs> okay, I'm going to call them back. So <laughs> it's people that, so working with the horses, yes. riding, Caring for them, whatever, is a total Zen experience, yes? It is, because what I do, I jump. Right. Um, and so what horses are is that they're totally authentic. So if you are feeling something, the horse feels it. Right. So you can't hide anything from the horse. So if I'm nervous, the horse feels it. If I'm sad, the horse feels it. So there's something about... How do you know? Oh, well, if you're nervous... Sometimes they just take off. Like right. you, you jump and jump and they start Which does galloping. wonders for your nervousness, I'm sure. Okay. And so. It palms you right down, doesn't it? And if you're sad, I mean, honestly, I'm not they a big just, horse person. I got thrown off a horse when I was six and, and I like, was never. It. No, yeah. no, I've gotten back on. It's fine. I'm just, you know, I, we, we have a thing. You know, I don't forget what yeah. that horse did to me. I so think, probably, well. And evidently now they're aware of that. So. <laughs> they would feel that. Yes. <laughs> yes. They feel your tension. They feel your sadness when, you know, if you need taken care of. They do take care of you. Like, you'll watch a horse, an adult ride a horse, and you can watch a kid ride a horse, and you'll see that the, the horse, it sounds ridiculous. I don't sound like a scatton lawyer, but the horse <laughs> is always takes care of the child. Right, like dogs. I mean, we have yes. dogs like that. Okay. That so, stand over the kid. Yes. Okay. All right. So, so horses, very genuine, helpful. So, Harriet, would you describe yourself as a trailblazer? Not really. And tell us why. Because of the state of the of law firms still. So I think of trailblazers, and I appreciate that some people think of me as one, but trailblazers to me are people who lead the way and following behind them are a rush of people, you know, being able to do the same thing. Right. And law firms suck at promoting women in any real kind of way, period, full stop. That's my opinion. Okay. So... Um, Yes, I achieved something that not a lot of women achieved. I was the only woman partner for a long time. I got trotted out to every recruiting thing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Why it, do you think that is? I mean, is there – now I'm the hiring partner at a law firm, but we're smaller. I've made great strides in terms of our maternity leave and all that. But do you think it is that hiring partners, male or female, look at a young woman and say – we're just not going to get the same kind of hours or commitment out of her because she's a woman. No. Okay. Unfortunately, I think it happens further down the line. Especially Earlier. in big, no, later. 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 Okay, so further you're plugging in, along. So you're hired. plugging along. And then the questions arise, who's getting the good case? Right. Who's being taken out with the client? Who's being actively promoted? I had two young protégés. Um, they were the same year. One was a woman, one was a man. And the man will readily admit this because he's pretty woke. But 
um, there was always, despite the fact that they were both brilliant, did brilliant work, were brilliant in court, were brilliant writers, you know, could think circles around me. I mean, absolutely way smarter than I was. For some reason, as their careers progressed, the man just pulled forward. No real reason. The woman wasn't having children. She wasn't working less. Like, we were in trial. They shared an office down on our trial floor 24 hours a day, both of them. And it just is a fact that in the – and big law firms are much more like this than yes. small law firms yes. like yours, where women are really in charge and you're the major breadwinner in the firm. Right. Or one of the major, you know, breadwinners in the firm. That – the white patriarchy just perpetuates itself. Got it. Do you think that has anything to do with, again, only because now I'm at the other end of it with some of the white patriarchy in my life, I know that at 50-something, I'm sitting here going, I don't want to be still coming into this office when I'm in my 70s. I have kids and I have a startup and I, I don't think right. we'll be able to call it that when I'm in my 70s no. but and I have a podcast <laughs> and not. I have speaking <laughs> engagements so I have a rich life I think a lot of these guys focused only on one thing do you think in the example of this woman you're talking about or other women that because we diversify a little bit more because that's just our nature that that either sends a message to the higher ups or that we actually make that choice that this is not my only focus. Well, you're talking about your choices that you're now at in your 50s. Right. I'm talking about fifth and sixth year associates right. where choices, they don't have, they, they have no other making, life. They're not right. making those choices. So I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't want to excuse the law firms right. for not making this work better. They bring women in in equal numbers. They don't make partner in equal numbers. Maybe some years at some firms. But then you look at the other indices. So before I left the law firm, I, of course, as a partner, got the, the list of what everyone made every year. Right. And if you looked at the top three pay levels, the real money, right. if you will, not, not saying anyone should feel sorry for me. I wasn't at that level, but I was very, doing very well. The percentage of women was so low. Right. So the question is, are you... Are we really getting women into positions of economic power? Right. That's what matters. Right. And women need to understand that. That's why I say these incendiary things like you shouldn't have mothers groups. I'm right. sorry. I think it's a bad idea. Tell us why. <laughs> because, no, I like, I want to hear. Because this is not a, this, it's a, if this is a popular opinion, it's not being discussed. No, so let's talk about it's it. It's not a popular opinion. Um, I firmly believe, and I never would attend a mothers group at, at my law firm. Because you're leading with your chin that way. You segregate yourself? Yes, and, you, and, you, and you're drawing attention. I don't think that work-life balance exists the way people think about it either. Right. There are waves of balance, and you, I'm sure you know this. Yes. If you're in trial, there's no balance. None. Right? Right. When you're not in trial, you take the time. Maybe yes. you fit in an extra Pilates. You pick your kids up at school, which you don't do normally. Yes. Right? Yes. But it's not like... Oh, I want to leave at five every day so I can make dinner. That's just not what it's about if you want to work at a certain level. Right. So I think those discussions are misguided. I think they're the wrong. Women should be saying, what do we need to do? How do we 
manipulate the white patriarchy so that we are in the economic power positions right. and then we're calling the shots. Right. So mothers groups don't help that. And all that all that happens is that the men in the firm, no matter what age, and the older guys are actually my mentors who were Frank Rothman, Bill Masterson, Mike Diamond, they were pretty open-minded and, right. and liberal and progressive. Right. My generation of men, not so much. Right. And the younger generation, not so much. So all that does is the guys then point to that and go, see? Right. Hmm. So you want to have you want to meet with with moms? Do it at your house. Don't right. like don't make a a thing of it. I just think it's a mistake. What about women who are trying to get an economic benefit from their femininity, their sexuality, their hotness? It must happen in law firms. It does. We're not all ugly bitches, right? I mean, <laughs> not you two. Just you and me. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Oh my God, two gorgeous <laughs> attorneys in front of me. But what do you say to that? I mean, it must have happened. Not so I've much seen about. It. I mean, I, I, I'll ask you in a minute about any like Me Too moments that you had at the firm. But what about the women going, hey, I got this. I'm going to work it. I want my old white boss taking me out to dinner with that client. And I think I'm more entertaining. And they might save the price of an escort if I'm there looking pretty. I, I got a twofer. It's a very dangerous thing. I'll say. I've seen it. Um, but I didn't see it very often. I mean, maybe we just had a lot of ugly chickens. <laughs> I don't know. But I, 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 I saw it once in a while, and it doesn't work because you can't, you can't be hot for all the partners. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the partners, first of all, some people, and, and I do believe that uh, by and large, Skadenism was is and was a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. And that does not play well. No. Like the podcast I'm going to start, called Secrets from Wednesday Lunch, which is when partners had lunch, had their lunches. That doesn't play well. Okay. It won't suit you in the long run. And during your tenure there, I'm not asking you to speak out of school, but just generally speaking, did you see any uh, inappropriate behavior between older male partners and younger female partners? Or yes. same age, I don't care. I mean, yes. And what did people do about that? I mean, this was pre-Me Too. So. Yes, this was a long... I, when I was still an associate, I saw that happen. It was one particular partner. And I thought... And it was happening to my friends. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually... I mean, it was kind of known among the partners. It wasn't the most egregious. It wasn't a Harvey Weinstein right. situation. But it was still inappropriate even back in the 90s. Right. The Which 80s and 90s. Was, it was a was high bar <laughs> to get inappropriate in the 90s. Yes, it was. <laughs> you had to be walking around yeah, with your Christmas penis party. out and a needle in your arm. <laughs> or some coke on your desk. Yeah. Um, so eventually that person was spoken to. Which redounded to my detriment because the day I made partner, another partner called me in and said, you know, you're a partner now and you have to help protect the partnership. So Ooh. I need to know all the instances you know of this partner doing this. And I was like, nope. Okay. So that partner who got spoken to, um, he spent the rest of his time at Skadden trying to ruin my career. Nice. Well, that's certainly a family-oriented yeah. situation. I can understand why you were so happy there. Let me ask you a question um, about the, what you're saying about uh, the number of female attorneys in the industry. I just pulled up a stat here from bestlawyers.com. 
saying that women were 50.3% of law school graduates in 2017 and 51.3% of those currently enrolled. So how does that contrast with when you two were in law school? It was about the same. Yeah. It was about Mm 50-50. And that's the thing that really drives my uh, anger about it. (laughs) Right. Is that women are are coming into in and out of law school in, in roughly equal numbers. They go into law firms in equal numbers. And if you were to pull up the stats on the top five law firms in the country or the magic circle firms, as they're called around the world, mostly London firms, and you, and you, and you look for the stat on percentage of equity partners in those firms, I, I bet it's at 15%. Wow. Well, it says in this article, yeah, 20% are mm-hmm. partners. And if you looked at the high, high, high echelon firms, it would be lower than that. Wow. So have we made any progress? No. Right. That's the sad thing over my 30 years of practice, that there really wasn't significant progress in that regard. Right. There are more women general counsels, there are more, uh, and, and the like. But the thing about women is, when they go to hire people for the job, they pick the best person. Right. They don't just go, oh, I want to p- pick Harriet from Pilates. Right. 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 That's, that isn't exactly how men think about no. it. No, if you're in the YPO group with them, if you went to college or right. were in a fraternity, got it. Yeah. I mean, we do that a bit, but I really do think that we look at things. I mean, this is a broad generalization, but we look at things a little bit more broadly in Correct. terms of hiring and and maybe put forward what's for the best for the firm more than what's the best for me. Right. Surveying more than 300 firms, Law360 discovered that the amount of women at the top ranks of law firms, those who are equity partners, continues to hover just shy of 20%, only slightly higher than the 19.2% tally Law360 found the year before. Right. And again, Law360, I mean, if as Harriet said, go up an echelon mm-hmm. and you'll find that number decreases. Wow. Tell us a little bit, Harriet, from your experience about being a working mom. You and your husband were both attorneys, but you were the breadwinning attorney in Correct. the family. And so how it was that, again, I've, it, we're not that many years apart. How was that in terms of, you know, school events and, and just work-life balance, but at yes, home? I def- yeah. Um, well, I did, I really was re- primarily responsible at home also. Yeah. So... I I just don't I don't know what how was their balance. Um, let me put it this way: my kids have grown up and they don't look back and say, "Boy, you were never there." Right. So somehow I made it work. Right. And I had I got pregnant shortly before with my first child. Shortly before I made partner. And when you're partner, even at a place like Skadden, I mean, you have more control over your life. Right. So. Somehow, a lot of coffee, a lot of Diet Coke, I just made it work. Right. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know. It's just, as I say to young women, if you want a big career, what that means is, you know, you can try to pick the things that are most important to you or to right. your children to be there. You can't be there. I couldn't pick them up all the time. Right. But if something was slow and I could be there and surprise them at school. And their faces when you show up I mean, are like huge. I mean, I it is it. really, I, I'm the same way. And I feel like for those young people, but particularly women listening, it does, how old were you when you had your older son? 33. Okay, so I was even older. I think I was 36. 
if you do put in a little bit of work earlier on, and I know now that everyone's going to call in right and say, but I couldn't get pregnant. I waited too long, Laura. It's your fault. You pay for the IVF. But, but if you can kind of front load that, then you do have a little more power. I never missed anything because I was already partner or very close to it when I had my first child. And so you do, you have a little bit more control and the terms are yours. But yes, as both of us know, you're not only working for your higher ups at the firm, you're working for clients, you're servicing clients. And so you can't just say, I can't do this, I have to do school pickup. Very careful calendaring, right? Making sure you know when every parent-teacher conference and assembly is. If you're, if you need to be there, I think my kids would say the same thing, which is you never missed anything, right? So I think that is important, and I think it is doable. Who was your village when you when you were raising your kids? Oh, you had Tiffany, the I equestrian had, she, nanny. She went off to do full time riding, but okay. I had a nanny for ten years, uh, Rebecca, who was central to my family. I've had the same housekeeper for 20 years. Um, the people at school, the, I, my kids went to the Center for Early Education and Ravita Bowers, who's my hero. And now retired. Whole, now retired, sort of. <laughs> um, that whole village at that school and then even at Harvard-Westlake, I mean, there was a woman at Harvard-Westlake named Ronnie Cazot at the middle school and she was part of the village. I mean, there were teachers, there were nannies, there were coaches mm-hmm. um, of and my And there's kids. moms too, guys, if you're listening. Yes, if you, know, you are, if you have a mother, if you have family that's in town, I didn't. No, I mean, there are moms at the other school. Moms, yes. Other moms. I know yes. the moms of both of my kids in both of their classes probably at the beginning were terrified of me because I'd show up in my like suits and whatever. Yeah. But we've all become dear friends. And where there are things that I probably would not be able to do, can you pick my kids up? Can you t- Yes. There's other things that I can do and I will do. And then I can call on them like, hey, could you do this or could you bring him? But if your you know, sister-in-law needs a good divorce attorney or whatever, right. I'm there. So put yourself out there. Become part of another village so that right. you have a village as well. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Yes. That's God, very, hard, help. very yes. hard for people like me, people like you. It's, But you just have to. Yeah. No you shame in to. that. And it also really does establish... Friendships. People want to be asked for help. They do. They like that they when you ask them for help. Yes. yes, they do. You're listening to All's Fair with Laura Wasser. I am Laura Wasser, your host, and we're speaking today with my friend, former litigator Harriet Posner, who has evolved and emerged in her second act as a fashion designer, entrepreneur, and the creator of the new luxury lifestyle brand, Caliday. Let's get back to our chat. All right, so let's talk about second acts. As I've told you many times, everything that we do at It's Over Easy is about kind of moving on. We call it the evolution of dissolution. We talk about next chapters. We now have a video masterclass called Life After Divorce, Next Chapters, really about best ways of mentally, physically, even organizing the shit in your closet for your next act. So tell us about what happened and how you, you, you told us a little bit about riding. How did that parlay itself into Caliday? Well, it, I was working with a, while I was still at the law firm, I was working with a, a young guy who had started a cancer nonprofit, um, an art therapy kind of thing that this he is did. Elliot's? Elliot Project, okay, yes, yeah. which, is, which is no longer active. But as part of that, he had an idea to do this kind of cancer clothing line. So when you go for chemo, you have 
comfy sweatshirts Ooh. that zip open at the right place for where your port is. When you you know when you get chemo, you often have a port put yes. in your body so that you don't ruin your veins by putting the poison directly and like right there into them. Um, and so I had been working on this with him, and we were working with a designer. And then I was retiring from the law firm, and I had been writing for a while. I was writing pretty seriously, and. I realized that I didn't like the clothes that were out there. I mean, there's a certain aesthetic to riding that I, I mean, I didn't know people rode around in, in rings and jumped over shit when I was a kid. Right. Like I, I didn't, I don't come from Didn't you that. see international velvet? No. <laughs> <laughs> what a reference. I was just studying. <laughs> um, so I was working with designer and, the lifestyle is so great. And I said to her, what do you think about doing an equestrian line? She's like, I think it would be great. And I'm like, okay. Let's do. Let's <laughs> jump off the cliff. Okay. So I kind of jumped off the cliff. You know, I'd represented, not that I knew anything about the business, but I had represented James Purse when I was a lawyer and American Apparel. and oh, That must have been fun. <laughs> BCPG, <laughs> you know. Um, I actually like Dove, but I'm in the minority, I guess. Um so I just started down this path, and I had, you know, James James was um, very helpful in this regard because I told him I was thinking of doing this, and he said, just always remember the story. And if you think about James's line and his company, it's the theme, is, you know, if he were a lawyer, he'd be great at trying a case because he has a, a narrative. theme and yes. he has a narrative, and it's pitch perfect all the time. Yep. And so he was like, just remember – the story, and the other thing he said was, don't bring anything out until it's really right to be brought out. So I had this this vision in my head of kind of a modern Grace Kelly. Okay. You know, that that's the way people live now. You know, the way she lived in those capri pants and her hair and a scarf and riding around in Monaco and all that. So that and Audrey Hepburn and all those people who sort of epitomize that life for me. So that was that was the picture in my head, and that's what I went about creating. What does Calade mean? It means clever in Latin. Okay. It means plur it's pl the plural of clever. It was going to be something else. I was going to go into business with somebody else, a couple other people, and then I thought, no, I need <laughs> Let to. Let me be Calade about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what our clothes are and is it, they are technical riding. So the most important thing in terms of technical riding is the pants, of course. So these are our britches. They are our most popular item. Um, They're the, our biggest seller because they uh, fit amazingly. Okay. There's no cotton in them, unlike many riding pants. So they keep their shape. Right. They don't get saggy in the butt get, after you get the off knees, the horse. Correct. Okay. Which is what most other riding pants See, do. I don't even have to ride horses to know That's that. That's really okay. good. <laughs> That's really good. A lot of pants do that, though. Yes. So they fit really amazing. So they are technical riding pants, but we have a lot of civilians who wear them because they make every woman's They're butt. They're hot, right? They make every woman's butt look good. Okay. So, and then we have, this is my beautiful model from this year who I just love. She's Moroccan. So... They move up. Okay, so you guys, so it's Calidae, C-A-L-L-I-D-A-E. That's the website yes. we're, that we're looking at right now, and it's very chic, this stuff. So you can see this is our new collection called the Scarab Collection. Mm -hmm. I always name the collections, and I struggle with them, but we have a lining that we're using, for example, in this car coat mm -hmm. that has scarabs on it. Okay. So, And we have some jewelry coming out that's going to have scarabs on it that's not ready yet. But, for example, 
while we have technical riding bridges that you would look great in, um, we have this new item that we made this year called the car coat, which is perfect for throwing on when it's 45 degrees like it was this morning when right. I got in my car um, or if you're going out early in the morning. When you, when people go out even to Coachella for right. the horse show all, right. all winter, it can be very cold out there yes. in the morning. So it's beautiful. It's you know got double plackets and it's just a beautiful piece. And then we have another piece that this vest that has it's a cotton and cashmere fabric. Mm -hmm. It's not wool, so it's very breathable. It has leather under the arms and at the neck. And then we have our more our, like sportswear kind of stuff, like our polo shirts that are made out of SPF 50 fabric and sweaters that people so wear. Sweaters all of this and polos. is crossover. So you yes. could go riding in the morning and then yes. go for a lovely brunch afterwards yes. at the farm. Okay. Well, and that's how, that's how people live these days, right? right? So I... Well, some people... And what's what's <laughs> I just meant in there right, right. people aren't changing. So what's you, the cleaning right. situation? Dry clean, any of these hand wash, how horsey are we gonna smell at brunch? I mean what Well if you don't ride you're not gonna smell horsey. Right. At well all. that's me, I don't smell one bit. Okay, but No, they're all pretty resistant that way. Almost okay. all of our things some of the new pieces like the car coat right. and the vest are dry clean. <laughs> right. But the other pieces are all washed because they're all active wear. So our our sweaters, which people have loved, and we have uh -huh. V-necks and Beautiful. crew necks and mock necks, they're all made out of a cotton and cashmere that's washable. Nice. So I make all the clothes washable because I wear them to ride. Right. And I um, love the idea of SPF clothing too, or SPF fabric. Yes. That's really ingenious. And then there's one. Uh, this is our four button wool coat, uh -huh. which is just coming out. I'm going to the factory after this to find out why it isn't ready yet. <laughs> Uh -oh. but, um, Hurry up, guys. <laughs> yeah, coming. she's on her way. <laughs> and she's all it's made not up. Live. <laughs> this is just a stunning yes. coat. And wool has, people have gotten away from wool. They want to use all tech fabrics. And we make a really beautiful tech coat. But to me, like a four button wool is just amazing. What are the price points of this stuff? That's a great belt. Yes, it's a really cool belt. It's our logo, which yeah. is tattooed on my arm, of course. Um, the price points range. So the pants are 410, mm -hmm. which is high for riding pants, but they're not high for other pants. Right. And then the car coat is 925. The sweaters range from our V-neck is 215 to our most expensive sweaters, our mock neck from last year. That's 345. Okay. The the wool coat is 925 also, the four button wool. So our prices are good. Right. I mean, that's... For really, we make all of our stuff in Los Angeles. We Ooh, bring like in that. fabrics from other, from our bridge fabric comes from Switzerland and our shirting comes from Portugal, but we manufacture everything here. But this is something that I created that people are going crazy over. It's called the Hannah. So it's a neck kerchief, it's one piece. Right. You pull it over your head. So people who are riding right. or playing tennis, I have a lot of tennis players who wear it, golfers, runners, whatever are all worried, Every all women are worried about their neck skin now, right? Because the only, okay. yes, you should be. Okay. The only, and the There's only- so many other things that would fall in place <laughs> above the yeah. neck skin worry, but okay, now I need to worry about that and get a Hannah, okay. <laughs> so this is a, a scarf, it's $35, and all of the riders were like, can you make us something that we can just put on? Does it have SPF in it? It does, the new okay. fabrics that we're doing, but. But really, SPF is unnecessary if the if it's the fabric covered. is okay, right. opaque. Opaque. So, okay. And I see anyway. it comes in lots of different colors. Yes. Also. Yes. 
dance ordering one now. <laughs> you need one of those when you're a sound engineer. Get a goddamn Hannah, Dan. <laughs> no, there's millions of colors. Beautiful. I like it because you don't have it's, you don't have to tie it, do you? No, it's like and you just, throw it's in like the a wash. big turtleneck kind of. It is, yeah, that's cool. And you can tuck it in. Uh -huh. It's like it lo really does look like a turtleneck. That's nice. All right, so that's Caladay. We urge you guys to check it out, Harriet. What's next? What's next? Well, I'd like to do a podcast. Okay, I, I know. Lot, Wednesday like, afternoon, tell. Wednesday lunch. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. Everyone, Scadden's going to be searching <laughs> iTunes. Oh, shit. We better get on there. What's Posner seeing about us now? And I, I'm working on growing the company. I mean, that's, that is something. I thought when I started the company that the creative part would be the hard part. Right. But I have a million clothes I want to make and a million things. And I have, a, you know, that part has been in a way it's so interesting because because I was like a smart kid growing up I was always told I wasn't creative right and I just drew stick figures right. right well I was fat and glass had glasses and braces and was the smartest kid in the class that was my that was my role cross to bear <laughs> that was my role so being having discovered this creative part of my brain has really been wonderful nice um Dealing with all the other stuff. The marketing. The marketing. The, the dealing with, it's all my own money. I have no investors. So every month turns and I'm like, I'm at the end of a month and I'm like, God, that was a great month. And then it turns to December 1st. I'm like, oh, got to start again. Uh -huh. it's, yeah, it's, it never it's, ends. It's, it's the same as at a law firm, right? Yeah. So the year ends, you're like, God, I had a great year. It's Try like, selling divorces online, yeah. babe. <laughs> You want me to get married so I can get divorced again? Yes. Would you please? <laughs> please. Um, so I just want to grow the brand. I mean, my, my dream is to have have LVMH want to buy it. That would I mean, be amazing. Well, I see that happening one day. Well, I, I said that to a friend of mine at dinner one night. I was like, he was like, what, what, do you want, what do you want from this line? I'm like, I want to be the American Hermes. Yeah. He goes, well, that's a big dream. And I said, should I dream small? Right. I mean- <laughs> I love it. The stuff is amazing. Go check it out, guys. Harriet, more than anybody, you know what interrogatories are. So I do. These are the all's fair interrogatories, which are strictly for the discovery of fun. Okay. Harriet, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? Absolutely. All right. Which relationship in your life has had the most profound impact? That was my children. Yes. They taught me unconditional love mm -hmm. when I had them. They inspire me every day. They keep me honest. And um, our little group of three is just, I mean, it's just, it's the most important thing. Are, the are they going to hear this? Yeah. Harry and? Jack. Jack. Oh, I have a Jack, too. Yeah. Okay. Harry, Harry's living in Iowa now, uh, working for Elizabeth Warren. Yes, I had heard that. Yes. I think Romy told me that. That's yeah. very cool. And Jack works for Will and Jada Smith's media conglomerate. Very so. cool. All right. Hi, Amazing. guys. Mom yeah. Mom was good today. Very proud. What's your favorite love song? It's Raining Men. <laughs> <laughs> Which really does just completely. Yes. Sums it's it the up. soundtrack for Harriet's life, too, is what I've heard, you know. What is the one piece of advice that you'd share with either your 20-something-year-old self or somebody following your footsteps? If you went back, knowing what you know now. It's not really career advice. It's understand yourself. Mm -hmm. Get to know yourself. Get to know your inner life. Can you do that when you're in your 20s, do you think? No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> 
So more so, like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yes. <laughs> and you'll get to know yourself. Yes. All right. At some and point. And cover up your fucking neck, for God's <laughs> sakes, because you're not going to believe what it looks like in your mid-50s. All right. Which rom-com could you watch on repeat, Harriet? I have watched it on repeat. The Double Wears Prada. Oh, the best. I've, like, the I've best. watched it f- at least I 50 times. I one year memorized um, Meryl Streep's like, <laughs> monologue about the sweater. The, the I love it. Bo- the best. <laughs> I've forgotten it now because that's the nature of this beast that is my brain, but it's such a great monologue. Harriet, thank you so much for being here today on All's Fair. Tell us again where people can find these gorgeous clothes of yours as you make your rise to the top to be the American Hermes. <laughs> We're at Calliday.com, C-A-L-L-I-D-A-E.com, and our Instagram is at Calliday USA. I'm going to go sign up as a follower on Instagram right now. I want to see this stuff. Thank okay. you so much for being here, Harriet. Thank you for we having will me. Check hey, out Calliday awesome. and you rock. Yeah. How awesome is that? I love her. I, I do. Love her. I love her too. She is amazing. She is a very wise yes. and witty and gorgeous woman. And inspirational. Yeah. I mean, just guys, you can do this, okay? I love what she had to say about transitions. Yes. And, you know, people like you were bringing up, it's frightening in your 40s or 50s to find a second career, right. to, like you said, leave a, leave a marriage, to leave a relationship. But she was really inspirational. Yep. I love that she has courage written as a tattoo. Me too. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to All's Fair, everybody. Leave us a review at iTunes and let us know what you think about today's show, other shows. Remember, if you're frightened by the idea of beginning again, that's totally okay. Take one step at a time, deep breaths, let it wash over you, and you will come out the other side. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, to catch up with Laura and It's Over Easy, follow at Laura Wasser Official and check out our YouTube channel, It's Over Easy TV. See you next Tuesday. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) 